Welcome to the Public Storyteller. My name is Michael Stock with Dr. Karen Neal. Karen is a professional storyteller and teaches at Florida Atlantic University. Hi, Karen. Hello, Michael. What story do you have today? Michael, every year for the Miami Book Fair, we feature some of the authors telling their South Florida stories. This one is Steve Almond. So I worked at the alternative newspaper in Miami, the, the Miami New Times, for four years, four and a half years back in the early 90s. I was allegedly an investigative reporter, but I was probably the world's most anxious investigative reporter. And so the stories I liked doing the most were ones that were just allowed me to hang out in a place. And the last story I ever did for the New Times, or one of the last, I was really just hanging out at uh, what's called the James Scott Homes uh, in Liberty City. They no longer exist, but it was a vast housing development, like a thousand units, almost entirely African-American at or below the poverty level. And it was always covered in the press, like carjackings, a German, German tourist has been carjacked or has something to do with drugs. It was portrayed as a criminal habitat, but it was really just, as I came to discover, hanging out there, just like a giant village composed mostly of women and children. And I just started hanging out with them with no agenda, with these moms and aunties playing cards with them. And um, with a bunch of young guys, kids basically, who were pretty uninterested in school and whose prospects seemed pretty grim. And even though I was supposed to be a reporter, I was really kind of quasi social worker almost because these kids were bored and there were very few male adult male figures. And even though I was this weird, anxious white reporter guy, I also had a car and I was happy to take them places and hang out with them. So I would take them to the beach or to the library or movies, out for pizza. One of the last excursions we went on, I took them down to the zoo in South Dade. I thought this would be a lot of fun. It turns out we, we passed by the penitentiary where um, one of these kids, Nuki's dad actually was residing and he was understandably upset about it. And so that the visit to the zoo wasn't exactly what I'd hoped for. But um, it got them out into the world and I got a chance to listen to them and hear what was going on inside their heads and hearts. And on the way back from the zoo, I was driving at that time. If you will take yourself back in the time machine, I was driving a beautiful, luxurious Toyota Tercel. It was my first new car. It was a kind of metallic teal color. It was the most dependable car I'd ever had, which made the fact that it started bucking and lurching just north of downtown on I-95, exceptionally odd. And I immediately looked down and realized that I had, of course, run out of gas. And just at the moment of that realization of running out of gas, the skies opened up in the way that they will over Miami and a torrential movie quality rainstorm started. Not like rain, just like God dumping a bunch of water onto that particular stretch of highway, which was a kind of Gordian knot of off-ramps and on-ramps. There are like a million highways happening there and everybody driving psychotically. And I've got four kids age eight to 10 in the back of my car, sort of crammed in the back of my car. And I'm like, I need to get onto the shoulder immediately. And so I pull my little teal metallic Tercel, which is approximately the exact same color as the storm that's happening in front of us. So it's almost camouflaged. So I pull it as far onto the shoulder as I can. And the kids are kind of freaking out and I'm definitely freaking out. And I say, okay, I've got a plan, but I don't have a plan. I don't have a cell phone. It's still the early nineties. I don't really even have any money. Basically I'm an idiot. 
and I'm now technically in charge of these four kids. I definitely don't want them to leave the car. So I say, I've got a plan and my plan is I'm going to go try to find somebody who will get gas for the and get me back to my car. This entails um, basically stumbling, staggering down an embankment and jumping a fence and then uh, leaping down onto the sidewalk, spraining my ankle in the process. I'm dressed in a sort of absurd reporter's garb, which is now smeared with mud and rain. And I start limping around Overtown, which is pretty abandoned, trying to find somebody who will get me gas. And I find these two guys outside maybe a car repair place, and I explain the situation far less coherently than I'm explaining it to you now. It's basically, uh, well, see, I'm a reporter, and I was taking these kids to the zoo, and now my car's running out of gas, and it's right up there on the highway, and I just need gas. And, and these guys are looking at me and just saying, he's either criminally insane or we need to help him out. And I help them with their decision making by saying, look, I'll give you $20. All I want is a single gallon of gas. And they look at each other and they say, uh, okay, I do have a little bit of cash. I have $60. I give them the 20 and they drive me to a station and we get a gallon of gas. We put it in, I don't even think it was a, a gas can, but just like a soda bottle. And I say, good, whatever. I just need to get back to these kids. The storm has not let up. And um, they say, great, where's your car? And I realize I've walked far enough that I have no idea where my car is. It's somewhere in this Gordian knot of off-ramps and on-ramps. So I say, guys, it's somewhere up there. I was driving on 95. I think I got off on 836. It could have been 826. I'm not quite sure, but I think I'll, I'll find it. It's, it it's, a, it's not a small, you know, it's, it's not a big car, but I think I can locate my Tercel. Well, it turns out I could not locate my Tercel. And we drove around and around and around, these guys getting increasingly skeptical. And they finally said, look, dude, we would like to help you out, but we've got our own days. We've already gotten you the gallon of gas. You're kind of on your own. And I had a, a minor freak out. And I said, listen, I'll give you another $20. Just five minutes, please. Just five minutes. And they said, all right. So uh, just as these guys are about to boot me out of their car, I spot a little teal neon dot in the, somewhere through the haze. Of, of all the rain that's that's falling and i realized oh my god that's my car i could see that trucks were, were were zooming by it and that huge waves of water were sluicing across the tercel we pull up and these guys let me out and the the kids are absolutely elated but i can tell that nuki or boo man one of them has been crying that it's been a traumatic episode for them and they say, oh, my God, Mr. Steve, Mr. Steve, you're back. Uh, you know, we, we thought you were never going to come back. And a, a few people stopped by and they, they, they wanted us to that we explained the situation. They wanted us to go with them. And, um, you know, uh, they, they didn't understand exactly why we we're there. And I realized in that moment, oh, my God, if any of these people bother to call the police, as I would do if I found four unattended youth on the side of the highway in a car with a mysterious person named Mr. Steve who took them to the zoo, I would probably call 911. And if that in fact did happen, I would probably be charged with abduction and kidnapping since I'd asked for nobody's permission exactly. Their aunties and moms had said, oh yeah, it's that reporter guy. Yeah, go ahead, have him back by dinner time. Not even that necessarily. But technically I had abducted these kids or kidnapped them. Fortunately, to my knowledge, there are no warrants outstanding for my arrest in Miami-Dade. It does not sound like uh, anybody uh, called the police, but I realized in that moment, in a sense, this is the story of these kids' lives. They are unattended. I meant well, 
but I might well not have meant well, or I might have gotten them into, I did get them into a terrible, dangerous situation. In a sense, it was sort of representative of that story I was writing because that story about the canyon, what they called the canyon, the James Scott Holmes, was really about what it is like for those mothers and especially those children. And what they face is a world where there aren't a lot of re reliable adults, where there's no pathway to success and where they're at risk almost constantly. I didn't mean to be a part of the, that risk, but in the end I was. But I will say they were incredibly relieved and it was one of the most joyful moments of my life to get back there, muddy, limping on my ankle, sure that I was gonna be arrested for kidnapping, but incredibly relieved that I was able to get these kids safely home back to the canyon. Steve Armand. Karen, I remember when Steve was a reporter for New Times, and it's great to get to know him better and see how compassionate he is. When a reporter, I'm not going to say he becomes the story, but he embeds himself in the story. I think that is always fascinating because we think so often about photojournalists who are in the midst of war, for example, and they don't stop to help. You know, on one hand, you've got to stand back to get the big picture, but you're a human being. How can you stand back when people are suffering? And this was a beautiful example of a reporter who could not stand back, who really got involved. Now, sadly, he found out more about his interview subjects and their lives than he had expected to. And perhaps he felt like a little bit like he was part of the problem. But I don't see it that way at all. I see it as he really was desperately trying to be part of the solution. And I applaud him for that. Yes, I think it's quite admirable that Steve took an interest in the kids and, and became a friend. I'm going to use an expression from journalism, an old ex expression, you know, you expect dog bites man stories, you don't expect man bites dog stories. And this is the kind of unexpected journalism story. We hear behind the scenes journalism from time to time, and they tell about what they saw. They often put themselves in a good light. And I think that Steve's humility in this story really comes forth. In other words, we see him not as the all-knowing journalist or a uh, person from the, the, uh, the middle class coming down to save these people, not in any way. We see him as, or maybe he thought he was doing that at first, but we see him as recognizing that this is not just quite so easy that he's also somebody who wasn't as responsible as he might have been. And these people's lives really involve a lot of what he was actually guilty of in his mind. You know, I'm, I'm grasping for words here only because I'm so moved by the story and by his humility. And I, as I always say, we learn so much about people by the way they tell a story. And this is an example of just somebody who wanted to do good and how hard it is to do good. And we can't overlook how scary the story is in the middle of a rainstorm, running out of gas, searching for help. 
and not being able to find the car that is the color of the weather. Note to self, don't buy a teal colored Tercel. By the way, I love the way he is still very writerly. He still uses wonderful language. The rain was torrential, movie quality, which kind of says it all. He mentions a Gordian knot, that great metaphor. He talks about God dumping water. And I just really love the way he expresses himself. And you can tell that this man is a storyteller. He hosts the moth in Boston. And you can tell that he is a novelist as well as a successful journalist. In fact, his novel that he is promoting at the book fair called All the Secrets of the World is about children and students. And it, this is clearly something that he's interested in as well. Do you know when he'll be at the book fair? He will be at the book fair on November 19th at 12 noon in room 8201. And for more information about the book fair, go to miamibookfair.com. Well, thanks for bringing that story in, Karen. We'd like to hear from all of our South Florida listeners. How can they get in touch with you with a story? Send me an email to cneil, that's C-N-E-I-L-E, at fau.edu. I don't need a summary, just a request for the very simple instructions. Our website also has archive stories. For more information, go to wlrn.org and click on Radio and the Public Storyteller. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. See you next week. Dr. Karen Neal is a professional storyteller and teaches at Florida Atlantic University. My name is Michael Stock. The Public Storyteller returns next Sunday. 